the Gospel of John, chapter number 14. I don't know if you really have taken note of the fact that we all tend to get the cart before the horse. I think that's human nature in the world that we live in. And maybe to put it a a different way uh, is to say that we live in an upside-down world. Nothing is as it once was. And we're not very good at making it right. Whenever it comes to the matter of problem solving, we uh, make the mistake of getting the cart before the horse by putting all of the emphasis upon the fruit instead of the root of the problem. I'm saying that for a very good reason, because yesterday, of course, was Valentine's Day, and most folks have been thinking about love and relationships. If you haven't been thinking about it, you're probably in trouble. (laughs) Love and relationships. You know, if we're all honest, we'll have to say that uh, uh, that's a problem area. Many marriages are just hanging together by a thread. More than a few families are literally falling apart. And a lot of churches are involved in conflict, serious conflict. And uh, it seems like we've learned to do almost everything. Put a man on the moon. We've learned to do almost everything except how to live together in peace. And we just keep failing at that, don't we? Well, all across our nation there are clinics, counseling centers, seminars, books, tapes, everything imaginable, trying to help people deal with these issues, but, uh, but they rarely ever really get to the heart of the problem. And the reason is because the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And there's only one cure for that. Until a person comes to Christ, who is the great physician Uh, there's not really any hope of help. Well, in consideration of this subject this morning, I can't think of a better place to go than John in chapter 13 through chapter 17. Now, obviously, we're not going to look at all of those verses, but that is a very special section of Scripture. And as I approach this section, it seems like I'm in sort of a holy of holies. I I, I seem to be in a place where I shouldn't be. And I I feel like I'm an intruder uh, because there's something so personal and so private about this that it's kind of like I feel, well, I don't have any business being there. And yet, our gracious Lord has invited us to this place. It's as though He has opened the door and said, Come on in, I want to share with you what I shared with my disciples just before I was crucified. And I want to make sure you get the picture. You'll remember that Jesus has already announced that He's going to be taken away from them. And, uh, 
And now he gathers them together, seeking to comfort their heart and to clear up the confusion because they're, they're confused and they're troubled. And uh, I guess you could say they're in somewhat of a panic state. You know, what do we do now? Because they had depended upon him for everything, and now he's about to be taken away from them. It's kind of like all of a sudden the sunshine of their life suffered a total and immediate eclipse. The lights went out. And whenever you think about the situation that they're in, remembering that Jesus was everything to them. He was not He was not just their best friend, but He is the one upon whom they depended. He was their all in all. And, and so the question is, having depended upon Him for everything, now what do they do? They've already endured great difficulties with Him at, at their side, so how are they going to survive without him. It had already been tough, but it's about to get tougher. And you'll remember that Jesus had warned them of the trials and temptations to come. In fact, he literally told them that they're going to be put to death themselves. And then he gives them the command, I want you to love each other and I want you to stick together. And if you read through those chapters, especially in chapter 17, you see that emphasized it again and again. And in chapter 13, he said, And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, and that you love one another. Well, this morning, obviously, we can't look at all of these verses, but I want you to look at verse number 15 for our text today. And we're going to get to the root of the matter. And when I talk about the root of the matter, I'm talking about our ability and willingness to love each other and to have good relationships with each other. And notice in verse number 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. All of God's Word is true, and it's all tremendous. But I've got to tell you, there are some sections that are more thrilling than others. And I think this is one of the best examples that I can think of right here in this upper room discourse between our Lord and His disciples as He is pouring out His heart in order to help heal their hurts. And here we see just this one small segment from this section And it has to do with our love for the Lord. That's the title of the message this morning, Loving the Lord. Actually, it begins in verse number 15, because in verse number 15, we go back and we look earlier in this chapter, and we see that the emphasis there is on believing, But then we pick up in verse number 15 and down here through our text, and the emphasis here is on the subject of love. And after that, in the same chapter, the emphasis is upon the matter of obedience. These three things are of great importance, believe, love, and obey. That describes the order of our Christian experience. 
And we could say a lot about each and every one of those, but this morning our primary focus is on the matter of love. And here in verse 15, we see the command to love the Lord. Now remember, these words are spoken just a few hours before the greatest event in all of history. The greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever known, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He who proved His love for us now speaks about our love for Him and the manner in which we prove it, the evidence of it. I'm afraid too many times when we talk about loving Jesus, we do so, you know, like it's nothing more than sentimental mush. And we sing songs about loving the Lord, and we talk about loving the Lord, and there's nothing there but just emotion. And, And the Lord makes it very clear that true love is obedient to His commands. If ye love me, that's the question. And it's one thing to sing about it, one thing to preach about it, one thing to talk about it. But he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so there is a command to love the Lord. And the command is that we love the Lord and in doing so that we keep his commandments. To see how important this is, we have to consider the consequences of doing what He commands. And we see that in verse 16 all the way down through verse number 20. And I, I'm just going to sum it up for you. But as we look at these verses, we see the reason for our loving the Lord. That's obvious. He loves us. That's the reason. We wouldn't love Him if He didn't first love us. So that's the reason for it. The result of it is what? It's, it's obedience. That's the result of us loving the Lord. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But the reward for loving the Lord, as described here, has to do with the coming and the work and the help of the Holy Spirit who is our helper. In other words, this is the benefit for each and every Christian, for every person who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. They have the help of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's available, but the sad thing is a lot of folks do not avail themselves of the opportunity to think about the great potential that we have of being indwelt by the Spirit of God. Think about that. The Spirit of God that was active in creation... The Spirit of God, the same Spirit, the Bible says, that raised up Jesus from the dead is living in us. And because of that, we have great potential. We have the potential, the ability to be able to do whatever the Word of God commands us to do. Because let's face it, when we really get down to the bare bones of the matter where the rubber meets the road and we really look at the commands of Christ, we we very quickly come to the conclusion, I can't do that. It's beyond me. It's more than I'm able to do. Whenever the Bible talks about, you know, loving your enemies, really? Man, we can't even love our spouses and our children and our parents. I mean, how are we going to love our enemies? How are we going to do good to those that despitefully use us? 
How are you going to love people that have no love, no concern whatsoever for you? How do you do that? How do you forgive people that have intentionally, willfully, maliciously hurt you? They have inflicted pain that you will feel for the rest of your life, and the Bible commands you to forgive them. And I'm telling you right now that in and of yourselves, you can't. That's the bad news. The good news is the result of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and loving the Lord Jesus Christ is that we manifest that by loving others and the Holy Spirit becomes our helper. He enables us to do what the Word of God commands us to do. So whenever we look at the consequences of loving God, it becomes very apparent that we desperately need to give attention to the command to love the Lord. And this is not an optional matter. The, the Bible tells us that we are to love God. That's our first, our primary obligation in life. Our first responsibility is to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, with everything that is within us, to love God beyond everything else. That's our first responsibility. That is our greatest need, most glorious blessing, brightest testimony. That is the one thing above everything that we desperately need And God has commanded us to love Him. And the consequences of that is that if you believe in me and you love me, I will enable you. Now notice verse 21, 22, and 23. In speaking about loving the Lord, here we see the actual confirmation of that. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father. And I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not as it. Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself to us, and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and he will come unto him, and... and uh, We will come unto him and make our abode with him. You see, the confirmation of our love for the Lord is what? That we keep his commandments. In other words, that's the manner in which we confirm or give evidence to others that we truly do love the Lord. You know, we hear a lot of people talk about loving the Lord, but there's really no evidence of it because love always confirms itself by obedience. And these verses here ought to cause some people to be quaking in their boots with fear. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Now, if that, look, if that doesn't trouble you, this next verse will. Because in the next verse, we move from the confirmation of loving God to the contrast. Notice what he says in verse 24. He that loveth me not, and keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Notice. He that loveth me not. 
how do you know whether people love the Lord or not? Well, he said, he that loveth me not, what? He doesn't keep my commandments. That's as clear as anything could possibly be. And there are multitudes today that profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they live every day in disobedience to Christ. If that describes you, turn over to 1 John with me. 1 John chapter number 3. 1 John chapter number 3. And I want you to notice very carefully what the Apostle John has to say in this regards. Because it's easy for any of us to say, I love the Lord. But in chapter 3 of 1 John verse 6, he says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Now, that doesn't mean that, 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 you know, that we're perfect. It means that we do not live habitually under the power of sin. That's the idea. You, you know yourself, it doesn't mean we're sinless. And you know that he was manifested to take away sins. Notice verse number 5. And in him was no sin. And whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And whosoever sinneth not, Notice, hath, hath not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. And believe me, they will. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he, Christ, is righteous. And he that committeth sin is of what? The devil. For the devil, notice, the devil sinneth from the beginning, and for this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And now it really gets blunt. Listen. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. And here it is, in this, the children of God are manifest, revealed, made known. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now you'll notice both the first and the second Commandments are tied together there, loving God and loving one another. And he's very clear about this, that if we obey not the commandments of God, it's because we do not know God. He is not our Father. We're not the children of God. We do not really love God. Now, I'm not your judge, and you're not mine. But when a person claims to be a Christian, we have every right to inspect their fruit. In in fact, we've actually got an obligation to do that. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus makes it very clear concerning the false teachers. And he says, by their fruits ye shall know them. You know, a good tree doesn't bring forth bad fruit, and a bad tree doesn't bring forth good fruit. And it's just that simple, but it's oh so serious. And here in John chapter 14, we see this contrast set forth because the 
the Lord knew very well that there would be those that would claim to love him. Think about Judas Iscariot for a moment. As you read through the Gospels, you don't find anywhere where the, you know, where the other disciples are saying, you know, I think it's him. I've been watching that guy and uh, I, I think it must, must be him. I mean, here is a man that is with them every day, a man who, you know, in one sense, a man who is faithful, a man who is involved in all of that, but yet he's a man who is unsaved. And I'm afraid our churches today are filled with unsaved people, people that were you to ask them, do you love Christ with all of your heart? Immediately they would answer, indeed I do. I love my Lord more than anything. But then you spend the bulk of your life living in rebellion against Him. You refuse to acknowledge His authority. You refuse to submit to His will. And yet you claim to love the Lord. And the Bible simply says you're a liar. The truth is not in you. Because when we truly know Christ as our Savior and we love Him with all of our heart, it makes a difference in the way that we live. Well, that brings us down to the cause. This is the great commandment that we love the Lord. And the second is what? Like unto the first that we love, you know, our neighbor as we love ourselves. So the second commandment is second only to the first commandment. It's second to one. That's a good way to think about it. Your responsibility to love your neighbor is second only to one other commandment, and that's the commandment to love God. And these two are tied together. So when we talk about relationships, whether it's the husband and wife, whether it has to do with a co-worker, whether it has to do with your classmates, regardless of who it is, when the Bible says, you know, you're to love your neighbor, I mean, that includes anybody you come in contact with. And our responsibility is to love them, and the only way that we can do it is what? Is that we keep the first commandment, which is to love the Lord. Now, remember, the Bible says that we love Him. Why? Well, because He first loved us. And then in Romans 5 and verse 5, it says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Isn't that what we talked about earlier? Beginning in chapter number 16 of John chapter 14, or in verse 16, he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit, Him coming. You remember, they're wondering, what are we going to do now that we'll be without Jesus? Who are we going to depend upon? And the Lord is showing them that they're going to be well taken care of because the Spirit of God is going to be there in His stead and the Spirit of God is going to be ministering to them and working through them and empowering them, enabling them to do everything the Bible commands them to do. And notice he said, the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. Now, how did that happen? Notice, by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I don't know if you if you notice this, but it's taking us back where we started. We're going back to the matter of believing, and that's where our 
relationship with Christ begins in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we trust Him? Because we realize the greatness of His love for us, right? He loved us in the while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. And we're overwhelmed by that fact, even to the extent that we're willing to trust someone that we've never seen, depend upon somebody that we've never heard, commit ourselves to someone that we uh, know nothing about other than what other than what the Bible says, and yet we put our faith in God's holy word and we trust Him and we love Him as a result of the fact that we know now that He loves us and so we begin to love Him. And the result of us loving Him is what? Well, we begin to love one another as a result of that. So as we focus on who we are and what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of His person and His work, and we focus on that, all of a sudden, without human effort, all of a sudden we begin to find ourselves loving one another as we ought to. How can you not love a God like that? So as a result of loving God, the first commandment, And this gets to the very root of the matter because so many times when we're having problems in our relationships and we're failing in loving others as we should, what do we do? We blame everything but the right thing. We we blame it on their lack of cooperation. We blame it on, you know, all of their faults and all of their failures. In fact, we might even in some way shift the blame to ourselves. you know. But we never get to the root of the problem until we get down to the issue of our relationship with God. And, and, and that, that's why marriages keep falling apart. That's why people keep living their life in misery because they can't get along with anyone, whether it's on the job, at school, or wherever it is. They can't get along with people. There's always a problem. Relationships are always falling apart. And it's not the problem of the other person. It's a matter of you and your relationship with God. And we'll never be able to to develop, to maintain, and to restore relationships with other people until until we first get to the place to admit that we have failed in our love for God. And as our love for God begins to grow, then we begin to automatically... Love others because the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. That's why the Bible speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't talk about, you know, the the work of the Christian is love and joy and peace and all of those things. That's not our work. That's the fruit of the Spirit, the product of the Spirit. That's what He produces in the life of a person who has put their trust in the Lord. As we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit... All of a sudden, he produces love. I mean, I got to tell you that you know there have been times that certain people that I've tried to love and I couldn't. I never forget we had a little girl, and this little girl was so dear to Bev's heart as every kid is. She cries over kids she doesn't even know, and she got a thing about kids and babies. And but anyway. This one little red-headed girl was just really special to Beth. She was the bus kid back in Missouri. And uh, 
we go pick her up. It's actually not a bus. We had an old Chevy, one of those old, what, what do you call those things? Those, like an SUV before SUVs, but man, something like that. And we'd, we'd go pick those kids up. And I remember Bev taking her home. And she said, well, I don't, I don't take her home. Bev took her home and uh, she, after church Sunday morning, took her home. And you know, she ate with us. And Bev bathed her. You, you can't imagine the filth she lived in out there. And, and she washed her hair and fixed her hair and dolled her all up. I, I, I'll never forget the day when we found out that her... Uh, her father's stepfather, I can't remember which, whoever it was, had molested that little girl. And they've got him locked up down in the jail. And uh, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is to go down there to witness to that man. And to make matters all the more complicated, the guy I had with me was an ex-Hell's angel. I mean, just... He had just got saved and surrendered to preach and was going to a Bible college, old Clarence Feasel. Big old giant of a man, not a tooth in his head, I don't think, probably all knocked out in barroom fights and bald-headed. And boy, when Clarence found out we was going down there to visit him, what for, you know? And I, I thought, if they don't keep Clarence out of there, he'll kill that guy. Now, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know the details. I, we went down and talked to that fellow, and he made a profession of faith. Whether he was really saved or not, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the judge of that. But that's not my point. The point is there's no way on this earth that I could have even spoken with that man about anything Whatsoever, were it not for the Holy Spirit helping me to do that. Because I didn't want anything to do with some scumbag like that. And, and I'm telling you, so many times marriages fall apart because people get to the point that they think, I can't take it any longer. He or she, who, you know, whoever's to blame, you know, they're, they're never going to change. They've got all of these faults and, and, and legitimate complaints. Because as you describe the person, that's the way they really are. And yet you pick up your Bible and you begin to read and it says, love your enemies, love your neighbors, do good to them, pray for them. And it's contrary to everything we feel in our heart. We don't want to do it. And, and even when we try, we actually can't do it. But then as our love for the Lord grows and we begin to reflect on the fact that how could a holy God ever possibly love me to the extent that He took upon Himself a robe of flesh and came down to this sin-cursed earth and allowed Himself to be nailed to the cross for me. And if God could love me unconditionally like that, how can I not love those He died for? I hope this morning that 
that something that I've said that the Holy Spirit has impressed upon your heart that will help you to get to the root of your problem because we all have relationships and we all have struggles and we don't ever get to the root of the problem until we get back to this matter of whether or not we truly love God. Because when we get that settled, when we keep the first commandment, then we're able to keep the second. Let's stand together. Father, I pray this morning that you'll use your word and that the Holy Spirit will take it and just plunge it into our hearts like a sword. Reveal to us our faults and failures, and Lord, that you'll just humble us before you this morning and that we'll be willing to confess our faults, that we'll confess our sins, that we'll love you with all of our heart. And Heavenly Father, I pray today for that boy or girl, some man, woman, whoever it might be, that they've made a profession of faith and they would claim that they love you. But whenever you look at their track record, whenever you look at the matter of obedience, there's absolutely no real evidence that they've truly been saved. And Lord, help them this morning to to stop depending upon their feelings and start depending upon the truth of your word and that this morning they might actually, really, finally, fully trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Impress upon their heart the difference that it'll make in their life and the effect it'll have on everybody they come in contact with. For we beg it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.